passage of scripture with us. And um, I think it's interesting to me. Uh, you know, a young person starts to misbehave and mom and dad take them to the woodshed, right? We call it a come to Jesus meeting for maybe for some of us, right? Maybe it's those, those aha moments that you get a real understanding of who God is or you come to a realization of what uh, a real relationship looks like with God. I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we, we flounder. And those moments when God brings us back are beautiful things. And I think that there's times when, uh, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's just awesome, and I think it's just great. And I know for you, I'm sure there's been some of those aha moments, those come-to-Jesus meetings, those, those disciplinary actions that God has taken that has put you back in good graces with Him. And um, I think that Psalm 73 is one of those times when, when He is just pouring out His heart and saying, God, what, what about them? And then God brings us back, or God brings Him back and says, No, what about me? I think each and every Sunday morning when we get together, we should experience those come to Jesus meetings. It's kind of what they are, right? We refocus ourselves. We retune ourselves into thinking the way we should be thinking. Every time it happens, every time we're together, it's that come to Jesus meeting. It's that meeting where we are face to face with him and the realization of our sin and the realization of how great he is. Uh, we sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb. Just our focus on Him should change our lives, should change the way we think about things. Adam did a great job singing a Johnny Cash song this morning. I am not going to attempt to m- mimic or match that at all. The title of the message is Jesus Take the Wheel. And Carrie Underwood sings this song with great passion. And uh, I would never be able to, um, to be accurate in, in trying to sing it. But I do want to read you some of the words because I feel like this is a, a come to Jesus meeting that, that this individual is having. She was driving last Friday on her way from Cincinnati on a snow white Christmas Eve. Going home to see her mama and her daddy with the baby in the back seat. 50 miles to go and she was running low on faith and gasoline. It had been a long, hard year. She had had a lot on her mind and she didn't pay attention. She was going way too fast. Before she knew it, she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass. She saw both their lives flash before her eyes. She didn't even have time to cry. She was so scared. She threw her hands in the air. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. It was still getting colder when she made it to the shoulder and the car came to a stop. She cried when she saw that baby in the back seat, sleeping 
like a rock. And for the first time in a long time, she bowed her head to pray. She said, I'm sorry for the way I've been living my life. I know I've got to change. So from now on tonight, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me this road. Save me from this road I'm on now. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. And if you could hear Carrie sing it, it's powerful, it's impactful. But I think just the words. We get the idea that this is a come to Jesus meeting. This is a meeting where she's coming in contact with uh, an almighty Savior. It's an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. And um, I hope that each and every Sunday is that for you. You Recalibrate, um, recalculate, whatever it is. And reestablish the road that we really are on with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever taken a quiz to find out what your spirit animal is? We talked about it this morning in our discussion classes. And um, I don't know if if any of you are on the uh, Faith Life uh, uh, app. But there is a survey that's going to pop up on the screen. You you got it, Justin? So what do you think my spirit animal is? If you've got it pulled up and you're following the presentation or you're following the sermon this morning online, this little symbol will pop up on your phone. If you click on it, you're able to... um, You're able to, to... take the survey and and weigh in so we'll give everybody a few seconds if there's maybe a few people signed in if you haven't signed in you can uh check with bj and he can help you help you sign in it's um, going all over the place yeah somebody keeps changing their mind so how many think my spirit animal is a turtle just raise your hand if i raise your hand turtle no how about how about tiger yeah yeah how about elephant? Anybody elephant? How about something else? Something else? Well, guess what? I took three different quizzes, and guess what? Turtle, tiger, and elephant was what they came up with. So I'm sorry, that was a sort of a bad survey because all the answers were right. Everybody's a winner today. Um, but it's very interesting and to, to take this, this, uh, these surveys, and you get online and take a bunch of different ones. It's pretty hilarious. They give you why and what for and how come and all that stuff. Something the elephant was supposed to be intelligent or something. The turtle was supposed to be slow, which kind of is contradicting, but I don't know. I don't know anyway. So here's the question. Why does the Bible tell us as Christians that we are sheep? (laughs) Sheep are dumb. There's no such thing as a wild sheep. Have you ever seen a wild sheep? They don't exist. Do you know why? Because wild sheep die. They end up dead. Either they're eaten by a coyote or they fall in a ditch or they they do something and they're not alive. There's no such thing as a wild sheep. If they're not taken care of, they don't survive. I wish God would have chosen something else. Anything but a sheep. I mean, turtle, tiger, elephant, anything but a sheep. Hundreds of sheep follow their, their leader, which was a sheep, right off the cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while sheep herds looked on, herders looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 1,500 meters to their death in a ravine uh, in the Van province near Iran. But those 400 sheep that 
died on when they landed, broke the fall for another 1,100 animals that followed them off the cliff, but only because there was 400 nice soft pillows to land on. The 1,100 were saved. The loss was astronomical, of course. One sheep wanders off in 1,499 follow. Unbelievable. Can you picture it? 1,500 sheep walking off the, end of the, walking off the edge of the cliff one after another. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. They just keep going right off the edge. It almost makes me try to find some redeeming trait of a sheep. They have very little. When God refers to us as sheep, I try to think of, well, well, well maybe that's a good thing in some way. I really can't find any way, any redeeming factor. There's, there's just not. Sheep are dumb. But this is the reason the Lord himself calls himself the good shepherd. Many times we think of the 23rd Psalm as one we read, we quote, we explore when we're in a valley, right? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We read it at funerals, we read it at sad times. But the fact is the 23rd Psalm is less about the valley and more about the shepherd. As we start to really dive into this one, I want us to look at this Psalm through the lens of learning about the shepherd. What's the shepherd like? When we get a grip on what he's like as a shepherd, we realize better how we as sheep are to interact with him. We realize how we are cared for by our shepherd. But we choose our shepherd. We choose who is going to lead us. You can try shepherding your own life. See how that goes for you. We can choose the crowd. We can choose the culture around us. We could choose our friends. We could choose worldly wisdom. We could choose a, a, a whole myriad of things. But as a lamb, you choose whom you want to follow. We all end up with a shepherd. Well, I don't need a shepherd. I can do my own thing. No. We all follow a shepherd. After this message, I hope you choose the one I have chosen, the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not of the sheepfold and I will bring them in also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Matthew 9 says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were so confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 1 Peter 2, once you were like sheep and wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Isn't that an amazing thought that, that Christ is our guard, the guardian of our soul? He is the good shepherd. Many of you could quote Psalm 23, but I want us to look at it briefly. I wanted to just kind of read through it, and then we're going to kind of dive into it and look at what we can expect from the shepherd. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what can we expect from the good shepherd? Before we go any further, let's look to God in a word of prayer. God, we want to be your sheep, even though we don't like being called sheep because sheep are dumb. God, we, we want to be your sheep because we know that you are the good shepherd. In all of our failures and all of our faults and flaws and everything that we are, you match that perfectly with everything we need. God, we want to please you. We want to be, uh, we want to be your sheep. We want to have you as our shepherd. And God, I pray that as we look through these expectations, that we will be able to understand better what to expect from you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Expectation number one. Expect some frustration and some confusion. There's going to be some frustration. There's going to be some confusion. It's going to happen. He makes me lie down in green pasture. Why do you think he says he makes me? Wouldn't you want to just lay down in green pasture? I would think so. But God says he he makes me. He puts it in those terms. Even though he is a good shepherd, there will be times when we feel confused and frustrated. Why, God? Why did you make me lie down in this pasture? Why did you take me through this valley? Why do we as sheep need to be made to do anything? Because we have to follow this. The only, uh, the only redeeming factor I think a sheep has is that they, they follow the crab. So we've got to be careful of what crowd we choose or what herd we join because we have a tendency to follow that crowd. We think wherever the crowd is doing, well, that should be, should be good enough, so we go ahead and follow. The fact is we don't understand everything. There are some things the good shepherd needs to make us do or not do, and it's not always going to make sense. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There are times we think God must have taken a mean pill or something, right? He's taken a mean pill and now he's on a mean streak. To eliminate parasites from the flock, a shepherd would walk his sheep up a ramp and then down a ramp into a big barrel or a big tank of antiseptic. And the sheep would go down into that tank and they would start to burn and they would start to feel a tingling and all kinds of craziness. And, and just as they got to the middle of that tank, the shepherd would reach out and would shove the head of the sheep down in the solution. And it would burn and sting the eyes, but it was for a reason. They come up on the other side and, and start wandering back down the ramp, back out into the herd, and they would shudder and they would shake and try to try to get the get the stuff off of them. 
Why would they do that? Why would the shepherd do this? Well, it was for the sheep's own good. The sheep's own good. We feel like God does the same thing for us at times. Those parasites, those, those evil thoughts, those bad habits, those things that we need to get rid of, God wants to take us through that tank. He wants to allow us to experience those things so that we can get better. Have you ever been there? Does it ever feel like that God is leading you right into a painful experience? While I'm there, I wonder, what's going on here? And then I have a tendency to demand, like, okay, God, tell me what's going on here. I got to figure this out. And then I just have to learn to deal with it. The sheep don't always understand. Once that sheep has gone through that solution and, and come out on the other side, does that sheep all of a sudden know that, oh, okay, that was for my own good? No. No. The shepherd could come over there and grab that sheep by the cheeks and look him right in the face and say in plain English, that was for your own good. Is the sheep going to understand? No. Not going to get it. Even if that shepherd was able to speak sheepies, I don't know what sheep, what language sheep talk, but even if he was able to speak that language, would he be able to communicate that that was for his own good? No. God does the same for us. Good Shepherd says, you'll be better on the other side. He makes us lie down in green pastures. But again, most often we won't understand it, and especially at the time. But understand that God knows. When God says no, it's never arbitrary. It's never, um, well, I just don't care, so I'm just going to say no. Did you ever have a mom or dad do that to you? Really want this, I really want this, or I really want to do that. And you just felt like they just said no just because they didn't want to, didn't want to think about it. Okay, have I lost you? Did is that did that ever happen to anyone? That you just felt like that mom or dad just said no just because they didn't want to think about it. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He's a God that when he says no, he does that on purpose for your own good. No's are never arbitrary. He's not trying to just make your life miserable. Every time we run into a brick wall in life, sometimes those brick walls are there to protect us. As sheep, we have such a herd instinct. When others are going somewhere, when others are getting something, when, when others are getting along just fine, we think we've missed out on something. And we get frustrated. We get confused. Like, well, they got a good job and they got a good family and they got, they got a nice house and they, got, they have cars that start when you turn the key or push the button. Why can't I have that? We're frustrated and confused. God's no's are never arbitrary. They're for a reason. In that frustration, in that confusion, we also have to understand to never compromise to get around a no or a not yet. Don't compromise to get around a no or a not yet. Getting around the times when you see the crowd going in one direction and we're not allowed to follow is extremely dangerous. Don't keep going if God tells you to stop. If God has you pinned to the ground and he's making you lie down in green pastures while the other sheep are moving on, don't freak out. God's got you. Never do something stupid in your own power to get around a no. Or a not yet. 
Life is going to become very dangerous. Life will be a, a big, huge disaster if you wiggle out of God trying to say, no, lie down. I want you to stay right here for right now. Never compromise to get around a no or a not yet. Don't avoid the antiseptic tank. Never lower the bar. Never lie. Never compromise to get out of a situation. Even if you're able to get out of it on your own. By doing the wrong thing, it will always land you in a bigger mess. Don't do it. There will be those days when we don't understand it. Maybe months, maybe years. Maybe it's a whole lifetime that you feel like God is saying, no, I need you to just lay down right here in these green pastures. We have this expectation. We get it. We understand it. Sometimes it's going to be confusing. Sometimes we're not going to always understand it. And sometimes we're going to be frustrated by it. We can have that expectation. Secondly, we can expect to be led gently. Says he leads me beside still waters. Not only are sheep dumb, but they're scared of everything. They won't drink from running water. They have got this sense about them that if if it's running, then that water could knock them over. And if they could fall over, have you ever seen a sheep try to get up after they've fallen over? And especially if they are wet, what happens when you put on all your clothes and you try to jump in a, in a swimming pool and try to swim? Have you ever tried it? It doesn't work very good. I mean, it just doesn't. You're weighted down with all these clothes. So like, dress like we are today in 25-degree weather, uh, we would sink to the bottom. That's the way a sheep is. Big, fluffy fur. Can you imagine how much they must weigh? It probably doubles or triples their weight. So they're smart about that, at least. They have the sense about running water. They're scared of it. So sheep won't drink out of running water. God understands that we have limitations we have weaknesses. God always takes into account our weaknesses and our limitations. We can rely on this fact that the good shepherd knows our limitations. He's not going to put us in a situation that we can't handle. He leads me beside still waters. We're all a little different. All of our needs are a little different than the next. One thing we learn early on in our Christian walk is that there are those that are a little bit further down the road in their relationship with God, right? And for some reason, those people who are down the road a little bit farther seem like they can dump all their convictions and all of their knowledge and everything that they've got back on these people that have just become Christians. And that's difficult. If you're an old Christian, and when I say old Christian, I mean more than 10 minutes, stop dumping on the youngsters. The good shepherd is leading them the way he wants to lead them. Yes, we have a herd mentality. And yes, there's going to be times when we carry and we help those that are like us. But God's got this. Don't make their walk more difficult by dumping all your garbage. Well, in some cases it is back on them. The great thing about our good shepherd is he knows our limitations. God doesn't expect you to be a perfect Christian. He expects you to be letting him make you, make, letting him make you into a follower of him. This involves surrender. It involves repentance. Never more than you can handle. But also understand he never allows you to just keep on sinning either. He never allows us to just stay in that same problem over and over again. 
He wants us to move on and get better. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation in your life are any different than those that others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can handle. When you are tempted, He will show up and show you a way out so that you can endure it. He's not going to leave you in your sin. But it won't be a cakewalk. Getting away from sin is not easy. But He's trying to lighten your look. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Why does Jesus give us a yoke after he has just taken a yoke off? That doesn't make sense. Well, it's because he knows what you can handle. He's the good shepherd. If you hate to read, You wonder if you're ever going to grow as a Christian because John keeps reading these passages of Scripture and coming up with these amazing things to say. I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm just not going to make it. No. God knows. God understands. If you're dyslexic, God understands. He gets it. If you try to pray and every time you get five sentences into your prayer, your mind starts wandering to the grocery list. God gets it. Oh, don't tell me it's never happened to you. Okay, maybe it's just my brain. I, I don't know about you, but there's times when I start praying and there's a million things that pop into my head. And I am distracted. I have to really focus. Sometimes it's hard. God gets it. Other Christians won't. They won't understand it. Like, that's no problem for me. What is your problem? You must be a really dumb sheep. Other Christians won't get it, but God does. He gets it. He understands it. This one needs some quiet waters. This one needs a picture Bible, right? Isn't it great that we have a good shepherd that will lead us beside quiet waters? I don't always like it when he makes me lie down in green pastures, but leading me gently beside quiet waters, that I really enjoy. The third expectation we can expect, the third thing we can expect is a blessing, not a beating. He restores my soul. Sometimes it comes from the home we grow up in. But when I hear the phrase heavenly father, it resonates with me. I get it. But I know some of you come from a home where it's not like that. Maybe the word father brings back horrible memories of abandonment. Maybe your dad was a selfish pig who threw a fit until he got everything he wanted. I'm sure there are those hear that either don't even know their dad or wish they didn't. He may have been an abuser of substances or maybe even an abuser of you. When we hear the phrase heavenly father, you say, can't we, can't we just use something else? I get that. God restores your soul. He is our good shepherd. Some of us, we carry this idea that God is looking for some sort, of, some sort of technicality that he can bust us on to keep us out of heaven. He's trying to, he's trying to find a, a, a place where we're going to slip and fall and he's going to yank us. Nothing could be farther from the truth. This is what the cross is all about. This is the reason he, he died. He died to get us in. 
He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes pleasure in restoring the broken. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the Sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Then clear down at the end of the chapter in verse 32, he says that basically the same thing. I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. So let's think about it individually. Sometimes we think that we've done too much wrong and gotten ourselves into too much trouble. He couldn't possibly restore me. Not the case. He loves bringing back the ones who don't think they can be brought back. He takes great pleasure in that. That those who think they're, not, they're too far gone, he can bring them back. God's in the restoration build business. Judgment is always a last resort. God's in the restoration business. So let's think about it in a group application. Isn't it interesting when a group of Christians or a group of anybody that really kind of thinks the same get together? We often celebrate when other people who don't think like us fail. Maybe it's another church. Maybe it's another group of non-believers. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that they just have a different agenda than us. Maybe it's a political group or a political agenda. We have this tendency to gloat and celebrate in their demise. Do you ever envision God celebrating when other people fail? I just don't see that happening. I think we need to be very careful with this one. God's in the restoration business. He's not trying to put to death those who are involved in an agenda that may be different than yours. God's all about trying to help others come to him. We even see cases in scripture where the church is to to discipline a fellow believer. It's not to condemn them to hell. It's for the purpose of bringing them back. It's it's, It's for the purpose of bringing them back out of the depths of the valley that they probably got themselves in. We can expect a blessing, not a beating. Fourthly, we can expect to be led clearly. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because of sheep's instinct to follow, to be led, God isn't one to stand behind and point and say, go that way and he's going to be back there smacking us on the butt to get us to go the right direction. It's not the way he operates. He's the good shepherd. He's out there in front and he's leading with, with his voice. And he's not telling us what's way up ahead on the next hillside. As he walks, watch out for that one. There's a ditch right there. You see the, you see the difference? It's not, it's not, hey, way up there, there might be a problem. Or way over there, it's he just walked through it. He just experienced it. Now watch out for that. That's going to get you. God's will is easy to find. We just have to obey what we already know. When he says he guides in passive righteousness, he means obey what you already know. If you've been, been asking God, well, please show me where to go. If there's no willful sin in your life, if you're, if you're obeying everything that you already know and you're, you're doing your best to follow him and God isn't answering, it's probably because it doesn't matter to him. It's not that he doesn't care but it's just not going to make a difference. If you're following exactly the way God wants you to follow and you're doing everything that you do understand, he doesn't care what color car you buy. 
If you're obeying what you already know in every aspect of your life, it won't matter what job you take. It won't matter what city you live in. It won't matter what house you choose to reside. But be careful. If you aren't obeying what you already know, he may not be answering because he may be thinking, what's the difference anyway? If I show them where to go, they won't go that way anyway. So be careful. It may not matter what apartments you rent, but he cares about whether you're honest when you fill out the paperwork for the application. He probably doesn't care what color of car you buy, but he cares about whether you're cutting back on your tithe in order to afford it. You see the difference? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18 says, The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. Obey what you do understand. It's like the dimmer switch, right? It's all dim in here. And as, as we obey, the light starts to come on. And we start to see all of the problems that may exist in life. And all of the good things that we should be embracing and following. You can expect God to leave clearly if you are obeying the light you do have. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Expect some frustration and confusion. Expect to be led gently. Expect a blessing, not a beating. Expect to be led clearly. And last but not least, expect every valley to eventually lead to a mountaintop. Even in the valley, I will fear no evil. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. The valleys are scary, but we can rest assured that it's going to lead to a mountaintop. If we're being led by the good shepherd through a valley, we can be confident that it will lead to a mountaintop. Why the qualifier? Because if you are in sin and not obeying something you already know you should, the valley you may land in is your own doing. There's some rough and very tough consequences out there for those kind of valleys. We can sit around and compare valleys. We can sit around and talk about it. It's like, well, man, mine's really bad right now. Yeah. First Peter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine and being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The James passage talks very similar about how it's great to overcome those trials. And we should consider it great joy. Because why? It fully develops us. You'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Romans 8 and verse 28. What's it say? God causes all things to work together for good. He brings it all together. There is one valley none of us have yet faced. Well, you could say, well, I've faced all of them. No, there's one that you haven't faced yet. I know that because you're here today. There's a valley that's dark. And none of us have faced it. And we all fear it. It's the valley of death. We're all facing this valley. Sooner or later, we're all going to be there, and some sooner than others. We don't know when. 
We hold funeral services and make it more like a celebration for believers and non-believers alike. But let's be real. The only reason we do this is to help those who aren't personally in that valley to not end up there, right? If death wasn't that bad, why isn't death in heaven? The Bible says there will be no, no death in heaven. So death must be bad, right? Satan wins when we die, but only for a brief second if we're a Christian. For a Christian who loses his life, an instant later regains it. The deepest valley we will ever go through is the consequence of living in a fallen world. He wins for a minute, for just a second, for a brief second. And before Satan starts to do his happy dance, before he steps into that happy dance, before he even makes that first step, we wake up on the ultimate mountaintop of heaven. Like I mentioned last week, we have to focus on the scoreboard. We have to realize that this good shepherd wants to take us all the way to the end. Yeah, there's going to be valleys. There's going to be dips in the road. As sheep being led by the good shepherd, expect some frustration and some confusion. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be plain and simple. But expect to be led gently. Gently. He knows your limitation. He knows your weaknesses. He gets it. Expect a blessing, not a beating. He's not trying to keep you down. He's not trying to ruin your day by saying no or saying, no, 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 hold on a sec, not yet. Expect to be led clearly. If you're obeying what you already do understand, then you're on the right path. But if you're not, I'd highly suggest obeying what you do understand. And we can expect that every valley that God leads us through, our good shepherd leads us through, will lead to a mountaintop. You choose your own shepherd. I hope you choose the right one. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from our hands. We can't do this on our own. Just let go. Let him give you one more chance. Let him save you from this road you're on. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know where this message has found you today, but our good shepherd is willing to take all of us dumb sheep with him. He's going to take us down the road that we need to go. He's going to do all the things that he promises to do for us. Don't fear the valley. Trust the shepherd. That's where it's at. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had today to be together. I thank you for this message. I thank you for the 23rd Psalm that um, can, can pour over us and make us understand who you are. God, help us realize that we're not always going to understand the valley. We're not always going to understand why the rich prosper and why the wicked get anything they want. We're not going to get that. But God, we, we do understand that you're going to lead us in a way that, that is right for us. God, help us to trust that. Help us to know that. And God, help us to choose you as our shepherd. God, we thank you again for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your, um, your participation.